0: Hey, good morning, Hillcrest family. Good to see everybody this morning. Y'all doing well? Would you say amen today? i put your hands together and show some love to our stage players this morning. God bless them <clears throat> for leading us in such a wonderful way uh, this morning. Very pretty choir anthem today. And uh, we're so grateful to be able to worship the Lord and tell him that we love him. And that's part of it. Not just talking about the Lord as we worship, but Talking to the Lord as we worship is a very significant thing. And now it's time for the Lord to speak to us today. And he does it through the Word of God, primarily by the Spirit of God. And so if you have a copy of God's Word, would you be finding Matthew chapter 5 once again this morning? We're studying the Beatitudes at Hillcrest. And once again, we're in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew The Beatitudes have often been referred to as the be happy attitudes or the attitudes that ought to be in the life of every believer. Every one of them, you'll be reminded, begins with that word blessed, makarios, in the Greek New Testament. It's a word that basically means happy, but really it's more than that, especially more than what we understand as happiness, which is so conditional On externals, things outside of us, people, places, circumstances, the word blessed is a word that implies a sufficiency, an absolute contentment that wells up from within. Externals have nothing to do with it. It's a personal contentment that comes from within because of a person's relationship with God through Christ, and uh, it is present regardless of human circumstances. You know, uh, the Beatitudes began what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The longest single block of teaching. It's one of the discourses of teaching of the Lord Jesus that Matthew highlights throughout his gospel. And the Sermon on the Mount is an ethical treatise, basically. It talks about the right thoughts of a believer, the right actions of a believer how a believer is supposed to live in this newly constituted kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But I think it's significant that the Beatitudes begin the Sermon on the Mount because the Beatitudes, much more than about being a, a matter of right thoughts or right actions, the Beatitudes concern a right heart, which is a critical way for Jesus to begin a teaching that's fundamentally ethical in nature. This is our Lord's way of saying that in the kingdom who you are always precedes what you do. Being always comes before doing in the kingdom of God. Or to state it another way, character always comes first. Character always comes before conduct in the kingdom of God. And if you can establish right character through a personal and abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't have to work so much on the conduct. Not you don't have to work on it at all, you just don't have to work on it as much because of the power of the Spirit of God within you. Character always comes first. And I think that's fundamentally why Jesus begins this important sermon on the Mount uh, with these Beatitudes. Now, I want you to remember that each of these Beatitudes is an identifying marker of the Christian life. So as you read through these Beatitudes, if you're constantly going, nope, not me, nope, not me, nope, not me, nope, struggle with that, then here's the thing. Can I just be honest? You might need to be saved. <laughs> you may need to be saved. Now, we chuckle at that, but I'm, I'm not trying to be humorous. This is the new man or woman in Jesus Christ. This is what transformational hearts Look like in a world that's swimming in the other direction. Now, you're not going to live perfectly, and certainly it's like the fruit of the Spirit. They don't happen all at once, but the seed is there, and the attitude is there, and the desire is certainly there for those who have been born again. But what I don't want to do is leave anybody with the impression that you take a look at this list and say, okay, this is the way. I need to try to do this in order for God to accept me as one of His children. So don't get the impression that in order to find a happy, contented, joyful life, I'm going to make these Beatitudes a list of my goals. This is going to be at the top of the list of my New Year's resolutions every year. And what I'm going to do is work very hard to try to gin these up in my life without any spiritual help whatsoever. You can't do it. You'll never be able to do it. And it'll only end up making you more frustrated, not more happy, not more joyful, not more contented. These are Christian attitudes that God makes possible by his indwelling Holy Spirit. Having said that, you still have to be aware of them, and you still have to work on them. The Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. But as God works in, we still have to work out. Somebody say amen. So you still have to be aware of these. You still have to focus on them, and you still have to exercise the necessary spiritual discipline in order to see them increase in your life, to see them flower, to see them bear abundant fruit in and through who you are as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Beatitudes are different. You've probably noticed that at this stage of the game. They're they're counterintuitive. They run totally different than the advice that you would get about living a successful life from people on the street in Pensacola, Florida, or any place else in the world for that matter. Some have called it the upside down life, and it is an upside down life. Jesus says, happy are the poor. Happy are the poor in spirit. The humble, in terms of our understanding of just how broken and desperate we are spiritually when we come to realize just how holy God is. We realize our spiritual need before a holy God. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And Jesus said, blessed is that person who realizes their spiritual need before God. Then if you were here last week, you know that we saw something that just is radically different. Blessed is he who mourns. Happy are the mournful. You've got to be kidding me. Yet that's exactly what Jesus said. Those who know how to mourn over the right things. We can be comforted in any time of grief with the comfort that we receive from God, absolutely. We can be comforted in the face of our personal disappointments, that's true. But Jesus is basically saying here, happy are those and comforted are those who mourn in the face of their personal sin. Man, it's so important for us to learn how to weep at the presence of sin in our life, at the nagging persistence of sin. To say, as the Apostle Paul did, as we inventory our lives as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, O wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So blessed are the humble, <clears throat> blessed are the brokenhearted over the nagging effects of sin in life. And today we come to a third of these necessary kingdom attitudes in our study of the B attitudes. Jesus says it in verse number five. Let's take a look at it this morning. And here's what it says. Let's say it out loud together. Together. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's say it together again. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, just like the first two, this Beatitudes, a little bit easy to misunderstand. So I want us to take a few minutes and uh, see how we can best describe someone. Walking in the power of the Spirit of God, who is, in fact, a meek person. I'll give you four things to consider this morning if you're a note-taker. First of all, a meek person is somebody that learns to master ugly impulses. You learn to master ugly impulses. One of the reasons that the concept of meekness is so often misunderstood is because, frankly, it's a term we don't use much anymore. If I were to ask you how many times in the last 30 days have you used some form of the word meek, you probably would say, well, I can't remember using it at all. And that's just because it's not a common word used in the English language. We tend to use other types of synonyms. But when it is used, another problem with it is it's often used in the wrong way. We tend to use it as a form of derision. In other words, if I were to ask you, give me a one-word synonym for meek, most people would immediately come out with the rhyming word what? Weak, that's right. And that's not true, but most people think that it is true. A meek person is a weak person, a spineless, lily-livered jellyfish of a man or a woman. But that is certainly not the case. Nothing could be further from the truth. Inside or outside Christian circles, that's just not what the word means. Meekness is not weakness, as it's often portrayed. In fact, can I just say, to be meek is to be a person of great strength. You can't be a meek person and not be a strong person, which is why I'm calling today's message the what? The power of meekness. Only two men in the Bible are directly called meek. One is Moses, and the other is the Lord Jesus Christ. Numbers 12 and verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek. Not just a little bit meek, but very meek. More than all people who were on the face of the earth. And Paul talks about the meekness of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And let me just say this morning that neither Jesus nor Moses were pushovers, right? In any way, shape, or form. Although in popular uh, portrayals on the screen or the big screen or the television screen, sometimes they can be portrayed that way. And I've seen some portrayals of Jesus as almost an effeminate kind of man. But that's not the Jesus of the Bible. Can I have an amen this morning? The word meek is a word that basically means gentle. If you want to know the basic synonym for meek, it's gentle. Meekness is gentleness. Although you might uh you know, couple with that, words like humility. A meek person is a humble person. A meek person is an unassuming person. And you know, when the word is applied to animals, it carries the idea of taking a creature who's overly excited and trying to calm it down. Have y'all ever picked up a cat that was mad before? Man alive. My, my parents had a cat one time that got its collar like caught in the bottom rung of its mouth somehow, licking itself or whatever. And that cat about went crazy in the house. Well, we knew we had to get that collar off of it. And so I went to pick it up, which was the first mistake that I made. And then I got some of my stepfather's thick leather gloves, and that was the only way we were able to do it. And I had to squeeze that cat, calm it down so that he could take a pair of scissors and snip that collar that had gotten stuck in the cat's mouth. Well, that's kind of the idea kind of to meekify the cat, if I could put it that way. It's what zoologists do to an injured animal when they're trying to help. First thing they've got to do is calm the thing down in order to help the animal. And, of course, the word meekness is most often applied to the concept of taming an animal, like what you do with a horse that's wild. You've got to do what to the will of that horse in order to put a rider on the back? You have to to break the horse, and that's kind of what meekness is. It's a strong will that's broken. It's a strong will that's come under submission of a greater power. And that's what God does by the Holy Spirit. He breaks our will, He breaks us down in a sense, in a positive way, so that we become gentle and so that our lives can be channeled in a useful and productive kind of purpose. And that's what happens. Many of you love horses. Many of you ride horses. Well, let me just say, if that horse wanted to, he could throw down on you. He could overpower you, buck you off, trample you if he wanted to. Significantly larger, significantly stronger, significantly more powerful than you are. And yet, that horse has been broken so that he becomes gentle in spite of his strength. Not that his strength goes away, It's just under control. And that's the way I like to define meekness. You want to know the JL definition of meekness? Strength under control. Say that together with me. Strength under control. And in a Christian perspective, meekness is human power submitted to the control of the Spirit of God. That's what we mean when we talk about meekness. It's both the act and the process where God tames, oh, I like this, God tames the wildness out of you and me. And you are a wild thing, as the old song used to talk about. I mean, weakness is giving in to the worst that's inside of you. That's what weakness is. The weakest person in the world is a strong person who doesn't have any self-control. That's the weakest person in the world. Meekness, on the other hand, is when the worst in you Has been mastered by a higher power. And what that means practically is that if I'm yielded to the control of the Spirit of God, I'm going to learn to master the ugly impulses of my life. The typical ways that I often react to people, though I know it's nobody in the house this morning, but we have this tendency, some of us do, to react to people who irritate us or to react to the circumstances that blindside us with anger, hostility, resentment, right? But what does the Bible say in Galatians 5? The fruit of the Spirit, anybody remember the very last one of the nine? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Self-control. Not an out-of-control life. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Y'all know anybody that's argumentative? Angry? I mean, this 21st century America got to do is watch television go to work sometimes all you need to do is go to church right and you can see the worst come out in people not uncommon to see it unrestrained hostility you see it in restaurants you see it in airports on board aircraft parking lots stadiums little league fields I go on and on and on And if that's you, if you're somebody that tends to react like that at one of these places or even more, you need to understand and learn meekness, because let me tell you something this morning, you don't have it. You don't have it. We're watching the Super Bowl, and the ads come out, and this was one of the ads that came on the Super Bowl this year, which you've probably seen either on the Super Bowl or at other places. Roll it on the big screen, fellas. Maybe I'm blind Thinking I can see through this And see what's behind Got no way to prove it So maybe I'm lying Take a look in the mirror And what do you see? Do you see it clearer Or are you deceived? In what you believe? Cause I'm only human y'all see that during the Super Bowl? He gets his campaign. That cost him $10 million just to roll that during the first half of the Super Bowl. Uh, but it's important, and we see it. I had a guy walk up to me in church one time, said, well, he said this, I just like to keep things stirred up. <laughs> Told me that in church after a service one time. Keeping people stirred up keeps everybody on their toes. Well, that's just great. must be a spiritual gift. Right? <laughs> Does that sound like somebody walking in Christ-like meekness to you? Doesn't to me. To actually like to argue? <laughs> and fuss? Man, oh man. That's somebody that needs to be saved right there. To intentionally create division? Really? Look at 2 Timothy 2 beginning in verse 24. <clears throat> and the Lord's servant, Must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with what? Say it out loud. With gentleness. And by the way, the word that's translated there, gentleness, is guess what? The same word that's translated meekness uh, or meek in this beatitude. It's a form of exactly the same word. And so Paul could have well said, correcting his opponents, or the translators could have translated it, correcting his opponents or her opponents with meekness. For meekness is a gentle spirit, as we'll see here in just a moment. So the Bible teaches that a meek person is somebody that learns to master those ugly impulses that are common to most. No, we're not doormats. No, we don't totally withdraw from the culture. No, we do not cave into our convictions, our biblical convictions. Amen. But neither are we to be argumentative, mean-spirited. In fact, quite the opposite. And that leads me to the second identifying mark, which I just alluded to. The identifying mark of a meek person. They learn to master ugly impulses. Second, the meek person expresses a gentle spirit expresses a gentle spirit, which is the polar opposite of those ugly impulses. In fact, that's the way some of you may be using a New American Standard translation of the Bible. That's the way Matthew 5, 5 is actually translated. Uh, In the New American Standard, it doesn't say blessed are the meek. It says blessed are the what? Are the gentle. That's right, which is certainly something reflective of the Lord Jesus' own life. That's how Jesus actually described himself and what he was like in his heart, Matthew eleven 29. We've said this several times across the years. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says, and learn from me, for I am what? Say it out loud. I am gentle and what? Lowly or humble in heart. And again, the word translated gentle there is the same word that could be translated meek. Jesus, could have been, the translation could have read, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am meek. And humble in heart. Because meekness, by definition, is a spirit of gentleness in the place of great strength. And Jesus, of course, was God in the flesh. Amen. Now, I hope you've noticed that the first three of these Beatitudes deal with the subjects of humility and brokenness and gentleness. Now, why is that true? Well, because those three things are demanded. For a person to actually live a Christ-like life. I mean, and that should be the highest goal of your life. Our mission at Hillcrest is to help people in becoming what? Like Christ. This is the sumum bonum, the highest goal of our life as a church, and it should be the highest goal of your life as a believer. To be like Christ, look like Christ, think like Christ, weep like Christ, laugh like Christ whatever the case might be, not like the world, but like the Lord. And the church has gotten far afield, I'm afraid, from all three, humility, brokenness, gentleness. There are a lot of churches, and I said that a moment ago tongue-in-cheek, but it can be true, unfortunately, that there are churches that look more like that video we showed a moment ago than the great pictures that we have of the unified worshiping body of Christ that are often mentioned in the book of Revelation where everybody's together around the throne and everybody's in harmony and everybody's in unity and everybody's worshiping and praising the Lord and on absolutely the same page. As we live in a broken world, we have to work very hard at demonstrating the gentleness that should come from the unity that we have within us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, in all, works through us all. We are united whether we realize it or not. The challenge that we have in a broken world is acting like it. And sometimes we fail miserably at that. And it begins with the individual heart. When I lived in Missouri several years ago, We had a major issue that was going on in our state, and I felt compelled to write a letter uh, to one of our United States senators who had a different opinion about the issue. I felt pretty strongly about it. She was on the other side of the fence, and I wanted her to be aware of at least what this constituent was thinking. And I remember as I began the draft of that letter, which I still have, Uh, The first sentence tells you a lot about my spirit at the time. You know how I began that letter? Dear Senator so-and-so, the people of Southwest Missouri are watching you. (laughs) And I went on and finished the rest of the letter, but then when I read it, I don't know, maybe I was reading Matthew 5. I don't know. I felt kind of convicted about the tone of the letter. The people of Southwest Missouri are watching you. And I thought, well, man, who are you to speak for the people of Southwest Missouri? Truth be told, the only thing the people of Southwest Missouri were watching at the time were Survivor, American Idol, and Dancing with the Stars. That's about all they were watching. They weren't watching her. And so I got convicted. I was kind of divisive. So I rewrote the letter, George Bush style, kinder and gentler, you know, And I added some things. I know you've got a hard job. I know it's impossible to please everybody. But here's a perspective I would really appreciate you considering. And then I stated my position, stated my case. And then when I concluded, I reminded her. I was praying for her because I knew she was in a tough position. And that's an example of what I'm talking about. Abraham Lincoln, Harry Truman, Some of the great presidents that I deeply admire and respect had the discipline of writing letters. If there was any question about whether it should be sent, they would pigeonhole it in a desk. And for both of those fine men, we have countless letters that they wrote that were kind of hostile in tone, but they realized it and they never sent them, right? Man, that takes tremendous discipline to be able to do that, particularly in an electronic age where you just, whether it's text messaging or emails or Facebook messaging or Instagram messaging or Twitter messaging or whatever, we just pop it out and not only do we send it to the person, we just throw it out there for the whole world to look at it and not even give it a moment's thought. That's not the way a believer should operate. Uh, A meek person, the person who inherits the earth, Jesus said, Somebody that seeks to master those ugly impulses that makes them look more like the devil than like the Lord. And you learn to respond with gentleness rather than anger. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle anger, a meek answer, turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. So, express a gentle spirit. That's how you demonstrate meekness. But then another mark of a meek person is that he or she is one who, third, expects to keep learning. I just want to ask a question this morning. Do you have a teachable spirit? If you're a meek person, you'll be a teachable person. One of the characteristics of meekness is having the humility to admit that you don't have it all together. That you don't know everything. And that you still have room to grow. Psalm 25 and verse 9 He leads, God leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. The meek are those who possess a teachable spirit. And think about it. I mean, in his humanity, even Jesus had a teachable spirit. You see that in him as a little boy when he was 12 years old. You remember the story of how he got separated from his parents there in Jerusalem and the parents got far afield from Jesus before they realized he wasn't with him and they had to turn around and go back to find him where he was. And he was in the temple with the elders, with the teachers, dialoguing with them, learning from them. They were impressed with him. And even as an adult, let me ask you a question. Did our Lord Jesus Christ pray to God the Father? Yes. He sought the will of God. He humbled himself to the Word of God, and to the ultimate plan of God the Father, even in times when he fought that in his own spirit. Do you have a teachable spirit? Are you open to new perspectives, new ideas, new approaches? Or are you kind of a, we've never done it that way kind of person? People get really defensive when somebody makes a suggestion that's new or different or that's outside the main or that bucks tradition. I was listening to a podcast several months ago last year uh, about a man named Charlie Veach who was certain that the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Center was an inside government job. The U.S. government was responsible for toppling those towers. So he thought it was an elaborate government conspiracy, an inside job. He was part of a truther network in Great Britain where like-minded people all supported each other. They had their own spots on the social media platforms, and they constantly fed into one another. But there came a time when Charlie Veach read something about those 9-11 attacks and got himself thinking, and he decided that he was just getting his information secondhand, and maybe he didn't know the whole truth. And so he decided he would dig a little deeper and find out for himself He got on a plane and he came to New York City and he began to personally interview people who were directly involved. He visited Ground Zero. He went to the museum. He met with architects and engineers that were directly involved with uh, the World Trade Center architecture. And from an engineering perspective, he talked to those men. He met with surviving spouses and and family members and talked to them about some who were killed. And you know eventually what happened in the mind of Charlie Veach. You're not going to believe it. He changed his mind. He changed his mind. He came to believe this wasn't a conspiracy. This was a result of an actual terrorist attack. But here's the thing. That decision came at a great cost. When he announced his findings, his fellow truthers turned on him as if he was a traitor. And they began to harass him. They began to do things like publish personal information, which increased the level of harassment. Charlie Veach ended up having to change his name. He ended up having to sell his house. He ended up having to relocate to a different area, all because... He was willing to dig and be teachable and change his mind. All of this is detailed in David McCraney's book, How Minds Change. And maybe the biggest takeaway of that book is how rarely people will change their minds, even when confronted with facts that are totally to the contrary. James 3 and verse 13 is an important commentary here. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to what? Say it out loud. Open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, and sincere. That's just a tremendous and telling statement. You want to know what biblical wisdom looks like? That's what it looks like right there. Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, full of good fruit, impartial, sincere. That's the very character of somebody that possesses the wisdom of meekness. These are people that realize, I don't have all the answers. And I want to know what the truth is. And I'm willing to listen and I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to do it in a way that's not hostile, but it's loving and open and gentle. Meekness requires a teachable spirit. And then finally, a meek person is somebody that keeps the focus on God. Keeps the focus on God. And really that's at the root of all of these beatitudes. A person that's marked by all eight or nine, depending on how you count, of these beatitudes are all dependent upon the leadership of the Spirit of God. And that's why rather than being weak, a meek person is a strong person. Why? Because this is a person who's totally yielded their life to the Spirit of God. This is the power of humility, the power of weakness. This is why Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong because I'm submitted to a higher power that's living within me when I get out of the way. And part of the problem is so many of us are not willing to get out of the way and let God be God. But listen, when you keep the focus on God and you remain submitted to his spirit, there is an outcome. And what is the outcome? Blessed are the meek for they shall what? Inherit the earth. Now, what in the world does that mean? They will inherit the earth. Well, with this, we have to conclude this morning. And really that's a statement that's taken. Jesus is basically quoting scripture there because that comes right out of the 37th Psalm where David said, the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And so obvious, there's an inheritance involved for those who are meek, right? Because both in Matthew 5 and in Psalm 37, that word inherit stands front and center in the concept of the outcome of meekness. But what is that inheritance all about? Twofold, there's a present aspect of inheriting the earth and there's a future aspect to inherit the earth. First, when you're meek and you keep the focus on God, you inherit the earth as it's meant to be lived in in the present day today from a Christian perspective. In other words, when you're meek and you keep the focus on God, you learn to live with contentment. This is how you learn happiness. You enjoy, as David said, abundant peace. The apostle Paul said it to the Philippians. I have learned, talk about a teachable spirit, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. See, that's a man that's totally yielded to the Spirit of God. And as a result, he knew how to live happily regardless of the circumstances. So what is Jesus saying here? Blessed are the meek, for these are the ones who really know how to live life today. The world thinks they know how to live. The world thinks they know how to walk in this present world system, but they don't. Only those who are meek yielded to the Spirit of God, walking by the Spirit of God. These are the ones who live in abundant peace. These are the ones that have a joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. These are the ones with a happiness that's brimming over To everlasting life. These are the ones who really know how to live. And so the blessing of meekness is a present reality that's a game changer. We don't respond to tough times like the rest of the world. We don't moan and get down in the dumps over every little thing that happens in life. We can live above those circumstances as we walk through the circumstances. If we have a gentle, humble, meek spirit that's totally yielded, to the presence of God. But then there's also a sense in which the full blessing of meekness is still ahead of us. It lies in the future. We have an inheritance of blessing today, absolutely, but an even greater inheritance that's still to come. I don't know about you, I believe Jesus is coming again. Amen? He's coming to earth. He's coming bodily to earth. And when Jesus comes bodily to earth, he's going to recreate this broken world as it currently exists. When Jesus comes, it's not going to be the same world that it is now. It's not going to look like that video anymore. It's going to be totally recreated. This fallen world, the Bible says, will become the new heaven and the new earth. And that transformed new world order will be the inheritance of the people of God forever and ever and ever. Blessed are the meek, those who look like Christ. For these are the ones at the end of time that will inherit the earth as it really should be. Last year, Judy and I had the privilege of driving through much of Vermont when we were on vacation, and one of the things that makes Vermont unique are those one-lane covered bridges. Oh, I'm hearing them. Mm-hmm, yeah, boy, amen, Brother Jim. Some of you have been there. We visited as many as we had time, probably about a half a dozen. They're all over the state. And you know, every one of them, they're all one lane, and every one of them had the same thing in common. They all have yield signs posted. Not just on one side, but on both sides. Now, they post them on both sides, but the government officials are hoping they'll at least be one of the two parties that gets it. The goal is for both parties to yield. But somebody's got to because if nobody yields you're going to end up with a big mess on your hand now not everybody's going to yield in this broken world when differences abound but those who understand and cultivate the meekness of Jesus Christ those will be the ones that learn to yield we're not going to yield our biblical convictions But we should be teachable. We should be gentle. We should have a spirit of self-control, one that resembles Jesus more than it does the devil. This is not weakness. It's strength under the Spirit's control. And my brothers and my sisters, it's Christian character 101. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is God's word and all God's people said.